Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder. We are the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. And of course, we are both sheltering at home during the current coronavirus pandemic. So we're recording our podcast introductions on a Zoom call today. The story you're about to hear was told in March of 2020 at our storytelling events at the Durango Arts Center and the Sunflower Theater, when the theme was firsts and lasts. Kate Sutton Cruchel has called Durango home for more than 25 years. Here she has found a higher education, a wonderful family, beautiful friends, and a heightened sense of anxiety that no combination of essential oils could ease. One day she noticed the statue of St. Francis in her garden barely visible in the blowing snow. It was then that the calling came to the Cathedral of the Ashram. The yoga studio has since become her church and the practice and amazing teachers her therapy. She might not be the best yogi, but she's a most dedicated one. Here is Kate's story. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, have you all ever had a sweat mustache because you were so nervous? I have one, doesn't feel good. Um, my mom, Pat, known as Patty Apple Sutton, was a badass. She was an amazing woman, a friend to anyone that would cross her path. She was cute as hell. She reminds, uh, Sue reminds me a little of my mom. She stood up to about my shoulder. Unlike my pale complexion, beautiful brown skin and perfect little hump in her nose and hazel eyes that were always smiling. Um, she was my best friend and she was all of my siblings' best friends. And she, out of, we had, she had six kids and all of us felt like we were her favorite. That's how she rolled. <laughs> I was her favorite. <laughs> So um, my story has five scenes. Scene one is my bedroom in the house I grew up with. I am 16 years old. I'm sitting on the floor in my room, which has a waterbed with like this janky polyester rainbow comforter on it. <laughs> Billy Idol posters, Bob Marley posters. And I'm sitting in front of the mirror and I'm wearing this red and gray, itchy, horrible acrylic sweater with this ugly design and gray acid wash jeans. And the phone rings and it's my brother-in-law and he says, where are you? Why aren't you here? You need to be here. And that leads us, um, pardon me. Here is Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins where my mom had been for three days. Um, six weeks, the first scene, or the second scene, I'm sorry, is the diagnosis. And six weeks before my mom had found out that she had cancer, and though us kids were kept in the dark, the prognosis wasn't good. It started in her colon, but by the time they found it, she had a tumor the size of a grapefruit in her liver. And she opted for treatment for us, for her family, for her loves. Um, and 
I'm sorry, you guys. She opted for treatment, and whatever the doctors told her must not have been good because she went from looking perfectly healthy to looking sick, like the day that they told her she had cancer. And she sort of retreated to first the couch and then her bedroom. Um, the third scene is the family room. And it was one and only time that I spoke with my mom about her illness. This was a typical 1980s, pretty horrible family room with wood paneling and lots of macrame and an itchy couch. <laughs> and I was sitting on the couch with my mom and on the table spread in front of me was a poetry project that was due the next day for sophomore English. I don't remember finishing it. And do you all remember that show James at 15 with Jimmy McNichol? Yes. God, that was on the, in the background. And I looked at my mom and told her that, I said, I hope you don't die because if you die, I'll die too because I won't be able to live without you. And she said, don't be silly, you'd have your whole life to live. And I wish I could go back and maybe not have said that because as the mother of a 16-year-old and all the worry we have for him, I'm sad that I put that on her, but she knew, here I am, I survived. Um, the fourth scene is the doorway to my mom's bedroom, which is pretty much as close to her as I got for the next six weeks. I was terrified of her sudden frailty and of her illness, and I would stand in that doorway looking in. It was all blue. She had matching curtains and a bedspread, probably a terrible idea. I'm sure that she regretted that. <laughs> blue shag carpet. It was a nest. And above her bed was a oil painting that my uncle Hank, who's very amateur, God bless him, artist, <laughs> painted. And it had a tiny little cabin, like in the middle of this huge expansive white. I don't remember one tree, but there were just footsteps down to this tiny pond and then a hole where the person had gathered some water. <laughs> I think that's probably where my eyes went when I was talking to my mom during that time, telling her shit that didn't matter about my day and her laughing and um, you know something else about my mom is that she loved to have her hair brushed the way I beg my husband or children just tickle my back and I brushed my mom's hair a lot I mean I can see the brush I can feel her big yellow let's call a vent brush for some reason and I can smell her hair even right now I mean I brushed her hair a lot and if if I could go back in time I would have just crept through that doorway and brushed her hair. And I wouldn't have had to say anything. That would have said it all. But I can live with that regret because I was a kid and I was not capable of it. So, But I wish I had. Um, final scene, the fucking hospital. Um, I hate them. And I don't know if... I. I think I hated him even before my mom's illness and the loss of her. Um, the smell and the shitty magazines, like even today, like they're all out of date, like eight-month-old times and 
good fucking housekeeping. Like, get some magazines. And so clinical, but we, that day that my brother-in-law called, I don't remember how I got to the hospital, but I'm pretty sure it was him. He was the type who'd come and like snatch me up and get me there. And my mom was in the ICU. She had had a surgery to repair a tear in her colon, last ditch effort, and that didn't work out. And she was having, by this time, organ failure. She was in the ICU. And we were allowed, um, every hour we could go in and spend 10 minutes with her throughout the day, two of us. And memory is tricky because sometimes, I don't know about you all, but I'll remember something and I'm like, God, did that happen? Or did someone tell me it happened? Or, but my dad and I were in the room the day my mom died and we were on either side of the bed. And we were both holding her hands she lifted her arms up and it was just her way of saying like you've guys got this shit you know I was the only child living at home then and that relationship was complicated but that I hold on to and eventually in the late afternoon on that day myself and my five siblings and my dad all made our way into her room and I don't remember anyone saying like come on, you guys, you need to come in, it's time. Perhaps that happened, but I remember it as just all of us organically going in. And I sat down at the foot of the bed, and I was near my mom's shin, and her kidneys had failed, and she went from being super, super petite to just pretty much unrecognizable, just filled with water. And I looked at my sister Liz and said, I don't know what to say. And she's, I don't remember what she said. It was something sweet and comforting. And we were all touching her. And my dad was putting Carmex on her lips, which must have come from the hospital because we never had a can of Carmex at our house. <laughs> and he was saying, hang on, Patty. Your mom was on the plane. Because my mom and my aunt were on the way from New York. And... The heart monitor started making funky noises, and my sister Pam said, Oh no! And my mom slept away, but we were all there with her, all touching her. And I don't remember how long we stayed in the room. I have to say that I remember the nurses because they were sobbing as if they had lost their loved one. And I, have, I love the nurses so much. I love you, nurses. Um, it was November 22nd, 1985, at about 5.30 PM. And it was a gray, ugly ass, no snow, November day. And when I read the line in Moby Dick from Ishmael, November in my soul, I know what Herman Melville meant. Thank you. Thank you, Kate, for telling that story. 
To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. We can't wait to gather together again and connect to the magic of live storytelling. Our May events are unfortunately canceled due to coronavirus concerns, but we are hopeful that we'll be able to host our SLAM storytelling event in September when the theme will be Lost, Found. And we are especially excited about our event in November when the theme will be Letting Go, Holding On. That event will be in collaboration with 20 Moons Contemporary Dance Theater Company, providing interpretive movement and music alongside the storytelling. So don't miss it. Check the events page at ravennarratives.org for more information. And don't forget to subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends and family. During times like these, we are especially grateful for all of the stories from the Raven Narratives archives over the past four years. Big thanks goes to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about all the important projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancusvalleyresources.com. The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Find out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com. Our theme music was written and composed by Mo Cooley and performed by Mo and the Motones. Find out more about their music on the Motones Facebook page. That's M-O-E Tones on Facebook.